I'm Sam and welcome to the Learn and Experience podcast, putting a spotlight on remarkable young people and exploring the world they live in. Today I'm joined by our two regular team members from Learn and Experience, the life skill adventure experts. We've got language guru Mike. Hello. And our very own Miss Positive Julie. Hi there. This episode will be shining a spotlight on 17-year-old Molly from Newcastle, who is raising funds for her volunteering teaching trip to Ghana in 2022. We'll also be visiting Scotland, Norway, Venezuela, the USA, Austria, and Malaysia in Around the World in Six Stories. We'll be looking at Molly's home city of Newcastle in Destination Fact or Fiction, and getting an understanding of her local dialect, Geordie, in the language corner. This is the Learn and Experience podcast. So we've got a great show lined up today and first up we've got Around the World in Six Stories. Where are we visiting first Julie? So first up we are heading to Norway. So earlier on this month the world's first self-driving electric container ship made its first trip to Oslo in Norway. So the ship's owners aim to cut pollution by moving large amounts of products by water on the southern coast of Norway instead of by truck. So the ship is called the Yara Birkland and it's owned by Yara, which is a company that makes fertilizer. So the company wanted to develop a zero emission ship that was completely autonomous. So that means it would be self-driving. Yara worked with a shipbuilding company called Vard and the technology company Kongsberg to develop the ship. The company says that in the future, everything, including loading and unloading the ship, will be handled completely automatically. So the company says the ship has roughly as many batteries as 100 electric cars. The electricity that we use to recharge the batteries is from renewable hydroelectric sources, so there's no pollution at all. Norway's Prime Minister Jonas Gar Stru even got a tour of the boat. So in the future, as an autonomous ship, the Yara Birkland is expected to operate with without any humans involved. Yara plans to spend the next two years training and testing the ship, but as with many autonomous cars, the ship will continue to have humans watching out even once the ship is driving by itself. It's remarkable, isn't it? So how, so it breaks and things like that uh, through a computer? Yep. <laughs> Another question? <laughs> <laughs> But I mean, the, the the technology of that is so cool, isn't it? Because it, it obviously the electric side of things is probably the most important part. The fact that they're not, you know, because uh, am I right? Normally these things would be taken by trucks. Is that right? With di- these diesel trucks? Yeah, that's exactly it. They're saying that most of the products will travel by truck. And if you think about how many things you can get in a truck in comparison to a boat, you're able to shift just so much more stuff at once. So fewer trips and even fewer trips by a zero emissions boat. So genius idea, absolutely genius. I think the one thing they perhaps haven't quite cracked is the battery issue, because batteries aren't so good for the environment. And once a battery comes to the end of its life, however, if you're weighing up, yeah, yeah, it's it's, it's a you know maybe a catch twenty two. I think that's still better um, than you know using fossil fuels and such but um yeah it's something that they'll need to work on for the future i'm sure elon musk will figure it out at some point love elon musk okay uh mike we are off to malaysia next where some inventors have come up with a way to provide 
clean water from the sea. Humans have done all sorts of remarkable things like fly to the moon or make it to Mars, but providing water that's clean to everybody still remains a challenge. The World Health Organization, which is the global organization that monitors people's health, countries' health, estimates that one in three people still don't have access to clean water. And while desalination, which is the process of taking the salt water from the, the sea and turning it into drinking water, is a solution, the process of doing that is quite expensive still and it's not great for the environment. So these Malaysian students have found a cheaper, more sustainable way to transform seawater into drinkable water. And what they've done is they've come up with these plastic uh, pods, which they've called water pods, which draw up water from the sea with some salt in the bottom of it. And the salt gets filtered off through a process of evaporation. And then there's the water that's retrieved and collected in a little chamber at the top which can collect up to eight gallons of, of drinking water. So it's hoped that these water pods can uh, provide water for entire communities. That, I mean, that's incredible. That, you know, that's another step for making sure everyone gets drinking water, right? You know, to, to, you know the, the oceans are an endless source of water. And if, you can, if we can tap into that, So I'm going to South America, where thousands of young musicians have taken part in a massive concert in Caracas in Venezuela in an attempt to break a world record. It was put together by El Sistema, a nationwide collection of youth orchestras. Though the ages of the musicians ranged from 12 to 77, most were young people. And the music they played was called the Slavonic March by Tchaikovsky. So each musician had to play for at least five minutes and they weren't allowed to share instruments. The conductor, who was Andre David Asanio, excuse my pronunciation, encouraged the musicians to keep playing no matter what. He said, if you break a string, don't stop, keep playing. And the reason why they did that was because they needed to make sure that they were all playing all at once for a period of time. So there were 250 people were spread among the performers to make sure the rules were followed. And over 12,000 musicians showed up. So in one venue, they had 12,000 musicians. And in the end, the Guinness World Records counted 8,573 of them uh, playing at one time but it was enough to set the record. Uh, The previous record had been set in Russia, where an orchestra of 8,097 musicians played the national anthem of Russia. And so the new record is now from Venezuela uh, for the most musicians playing all together in one venue. That's crazy. (laughs) That's very impressive. So if there was 12,000 there and 8,000 and something, what happened to the other two and a half? What were they, were they on toilet breaks or? Crazy, isn't it? I mean, you think about it, all those people playing at once and knowing when to play and watch the conductor that, you know, how did the, they, so they had these 250 people monitoring it to see, and obviously they were communicating, but I don't know how they could say, is he playing, is he not playing? And presumably there was some kind of, you know, digital 
computery thing <laughs> that was being being used. I can't imagine them just on the walk. No, stop playing. Count again. Start again. And counting them. I'm sure there was like some. I was <laughs> trying to count the kids coming out of the swimming pool at camp. Uh, count again. Count again. <laughs> go back in. Back in. Back in. We're, we're going to go to Austria next. And uh, undoubtedly, you've heard of Mozart uh, and Beethoven uh, being the two most famous composers in the world. And Beethoven famously made nine symphonies during his life, symphony being like a collection of music. And he died, sadly, before he made his 10th symphony, although he'd written down on a piece of paper some of the notes that were going to make up the 10th symphony. And a team of musicians and scientists in Austria have used uh, artificial intelligence to complete this artist's final masterpiece. They took the, uh, the notes that they found on the little piece of paper and then they fed it into a computer and the computer did the rest, basically. So it's pretty cool. They've now pieced together what they think Beethoven would have written for the last, for his 10th symphony. That's crazy. And now we have 10 symphonies to enjoy from Beethoven. So the winner of this year's Children's Climate Prize was announced this week. Uh, 15-year-old Reshma Kozaraju from California was chosen from among the finalists for her project, which uses artificial intelligence to predict forest fires. So the Children's Climate Prize has been given every year since 2016 to a person between the ages of 12 and 17 who have made extraordinary efforts to improve life on the planet for children now and in the future. This year, the prize organizers report that a record number of young people from 32 different countries were nominated for the prize. So Reshma's idea was to use AI to predict where forest fires might happen. To build her deep learning model, she used weather information like temperature, humidity, wind speed, and how dry the soil is. She also looked at human behavior. Her model can predict where and when forest fires are most likely to happen. And it's about 90% accurate. Reshma hopes to turn her program into an app that will be useful to firefighters. And she also hopes it will help people who live in areas where forest fires are likely. Yeah. That's another game changer there. You know, the devastation that we've seen, um, certainly, you know, in, in, in the States and um, many over the past, you know, year or so that that's a, a big, a big game changer. We're off to Glasgow now, where a few weeks ago, people representing nearly 200 countries agreed to a new climate deal called the Glasgow Climate Pact. Now, the deal shows more progress than many people have expected, but it's still not strong enough to avoid the worst effects of global warming. So just to explain a little bit about what, what global warming is. So since people first begun burning coal to run factories, the world's temperature has gone up by 1.1 degrees Celsius. Now, this increase has led to serious long-term changes in weather patterns that affect all life on Earth. So you probably noticed, but the world is getting hotter, uh, mainly because humans are burning fossil fuels like coal and oil and, and natural gas to make energy. So these fuels give off pollution called greenhouse gases or carbon emissions, which make the climate emergency worse. So the effects of climate change can already be seen. So there's melting ice in Antarctica and the Arctic, 
higher temperatures, heat waves, record dry periods, wildfires, record rains, and more strong hurricanes. And scientists say that the world must take strong action before 2030 to avoid the worst effects of the climate crisis. So back to Glasgow now. So people representing 179 countries were holding difficult talks at the United Nations climate meeting known as COP26 in Glasgow. Now getting 197 countries to agree on anything is, is quite an amazing step. So overall, the main goal of COP26 was to make sure that the world still has a chance to limit global warming to 1.5 degrees. Now the goal is still possible, but it will be difficult to reach. So like the Paris um, 2015 agreement, the Glasgow Climate Pact isn't perfect, but it is progress and it helps point the way forward on climate action. It'll be up to countries, companies and people to take the action needed to limit global warming to below 1.5 degrees. I think it's very relevant to have um, Molly on the show today because, you know, young people, I think, are, are making us all realise that this is you know, a very, very important, if not the most important issue of our time. And it feels that, I, I certainly feel that this wasn't something that we we talked about as young people to the extent that we do now. And, and Molly, just from your perspective, what do you feel about everything that's going on with, uh, with climate change and what's being done about it and the different voices from Greta to let's say Trump to Boris, you know, all the different um, people around the world. What, what's your view on things? Yeah, well, this is actually something I feel very strongly about. And I've been to quite a lot of the global, um, like the marches for climate change. And um, I did actually get invited to go to COP26 with my friend who is, her mum leads the Hexham Climate Change Association. Um, but unfortunately, I couldn't go. But I think that is definitely something I would have wanted to have gone to and been involved in. Because, as I said before, I feel very strongly about it. Um, because I definitely don't think people are doing enough for the situation that we're in. I think it's getting realised now more. Uh, definitely with Greta Thunberg has been very, very inspirational to a lot of people. And, you know, got people to realise the seriousness of the situa situation that we're in. Um, yeah, I think definitely could be doing a lot more, but people are becoming more aware. So if everyone just, you know, does their bit, hopefully by 2030, we'll be in a better situation. Fingers crossed. So welcome, Molly. Hello. Hello. Very, very excited to welcome you onto the show. We have uh, been hearing a little bit about what you are doing, but it sounds Sounds pretty incredible. Right, can you just tell us, first of all, a little bit about yourself? Yeah, so I'm Molly and I'm from near Newcastle. Um, I'm 17 years old and um, I'm currently in high school studying uh, in geography, biology and French, um, which hopefully my French will be useful for when I go to Ghana because they speak um, African, like Ghanaian French. So hopefully that will come in handy. That's the first that's the first good fact for the show. We may be looking at some facts on Ghana a little bit later on, and that's a really good one. So you I wrote that down just in case it's a question. <laughs> Did you write down the spelling of Ghana, Julie, as well? <laughs> I'm, I might have done. I might have done. Did you pick Molly, did you pick French um because you knew you were going to Ghana, or have you just always been quite quite good at French? 
Uh, no, I've always wanted to do French, um, but it being spoken in Ghana a little bit was just an added bonus. Nice, nice. So first of all, I think the first question is, is why are you doing this trip? Um, well, I've always wanted to do a gap year. But I think it being more focused and meaning I can help other people and also it hopefully will looking good on my future CVs when I want to apply to uni is all very good. Okay, so how did you go about organising the trip? Um, well, I had um, I applied for Project Trust in July and I had a selection course um, in August, I think it was, uh, where we usually go to the island of Col, which is in Scotland, for like the application process. But because of COVID, we had to do it on Zoom for two days. So we spent six hours in 30 degree heat doing application processes which was still very fun but I'm sure if it was on call it would have been a lot more interesting but I still managed to get onto it and found my placement in Ghana. So there was an application process so you said it's normally in person but can you tell us a little bit about what you in those six hours what you what you had to do? Uh, we had to do lots of different activities where like we found out a lot about each other as well as like being put into like different scenarios like because we're going to be teachers we had to like be put in different scenarios and um like see what we would do in each different situation can you give us an example um one of them was um like a child came up to you telling them about different problems they had and you had to like um see who you'd speak to what would you say to the child do you know how many people apply for the for the program um, on my team, uh, my Zoom call, there was six people, and I think there's been twelve different um, different application processes. So, whatever that maths is, <laughs> seventy-two, I think. And then, will the people that you were doing the application with will are they doing? Were they applying for the same trip, or is there lots of different? Uh, no, there's lots and lots of different um, countries that you can um, be placed in. Like in Africa alone, I think there's four different countries that you can be placed in. But there's also some in Asia, some in Australasia, there's some in Europe even. So there's lots of different placements you can be put into. And did you specifically apply for the Ghana trip? No, they, so during your application, they write down different countries that they think you'd be best suited in. And you have a choice of three um, countries that they could possibly send you on so all three of my choices are either ghana cambodia or south america but ghana is like the most likely one i will be going to so it's not actually definite i'll be going to ghana it's just the most definite like the one they think is best for me okay and and was they change was was french do you think french was a big part of that the fact that you can speak french um i think it was probably a deciding factor because i did tell them that i was um learning french i could speak french a little bit so that was probably in their minds when they chose Ghana for me. Where would you uh, where would you live when you go to Ghana? Do you live with a host family or? So yeah, all those details aren't actually like certain yet. So um, I will be having another. I will be having like a training session in the island of Col in June next year, which is where we'll find out like exactly where we're being placed, who our partner is that we'll be going with, and where we'll be staying. But you can either stay in like your own individual accommodation or you could stay with a host family or you could be staying in like a big like hostel thing and um, so 
yeah, that will all be decided next year. What would you prefer to? Where would you prefer to stay? I think staying with the host family would be quite cool because they could like tell you all about like the local fun things to do and also just be more involved in the community. And how long are you going for? How long would you be away for? Uh, so it's a year, but after the year's finished, I will probably like um, go traveling around Africa. So it could be longer. I don't think mum would want it to be longer though. <laughs> <laughs> a year's a long time. Yes, and you're not you're not meant to come back. Obviously, people can go out and see you, but you know, it's not ideal for you to like come back. So it is a, a whole year out in Ghana. What a, a, an amazing commitment for for a seventeen year old. That's uh, that's very gutsy. Not something I don't Thank think you. I could have done at, at that age. I think I was far too immature. So no, that's that's amazing. <laughs> what comes into your mind when you think of Ghana at the moment? What ideas? What thoughts come into your head? Just pure excitement, to be honest. Um, and also just about the different opportunities because my cousin went um, last two years ago to Malawi and I'd seen like all the different activities and stuff she did. And it was just, that is what I want to do, <laughs> everything. And that's Project Trust, right? Yes, that's how I heard of it through um, Kirsty. Yeah, yeah. And earlier I spoke to Project Trust to hear a little bit more detail about, about the different programmes that they offer. Project Trust is one of the oldest gap year organisations, although gap year is a slightly awkward term. And we arrange long-term volunteering placements for young people for mostly 12 months, and we have a few eight-month projects. So you really get to understand the community that you're going to be working in. So my role at Project Trust is to support our young volunteers with their fundraising journey. So they're kind of responsible, I'm responsible for them from when we first offer them a place until they're ready to, to, to join the international placements team. So one of the, the, the uh, most impressive things that I've seen that you're doing, Molly, is, is the fundraising side of things. So you obviously have to pay for this trip. Yourself. Yeah, it also goes towards the projects that we'll be doing once we're there. So it covers the cost of us going and our living there. It will also go towards the different projects we'll be doing when we're over there. And what's your target? Uh, £6,950. Okay. And can That's you a tell substantial us, amount. Can, can you tell us some of the things that you've been doing to raise, to raise this money? Yeah, so the main uh, fundraising idea that I had was um, I decided to cycle the distance between... Newcastle and Ho, which is the capital in the Volta region, which is the area, like the region I'll be staying in, in Ghana, which is 4,690 miles. <laughs> but I'm already 2,000 miles of the way through, so, you know, I'm going strong. You've done 2,000 already? About, I'm adding one, 1,960, I think, I'm on. On, an, on roads, like on an outdoor bike? Yeah, I am now riding inside but i've got like a turbo trainer set up which counts my miles but it's not it's not as fun as being outside but it's just a bit bit awful well, i just got a, outside i just got a spin bike so if you want a hand i can do some miles for you if you like <laughs> that would be massively appreciated <laughs> <laughs> i tell you what i won't do that but i'll give you some money how's that yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's impressive because what i think what molly's been doing is big long cycles like she can only cycle a certain amount in a week, but then 
uh, on the weekend, you've been doing proper big long ones, haven't you? Yes, yeah, so I think the most I've done is, I think I did 78 the other day. Well, not the other day, like the other month, which yeah. was quite a hefty amount to be doing. And do you enjoy cycling? I used to. It's getting a bit <laughs> easier now. <laughs> not anymore. <laughs> yeah, I've got I've no, got yeah. three three words for you: padded bottom shorts. They're very important. Yeah, I've, I've got found. a lot of them now. I've got a lot of them. Yeah, and no, so that's your that's your main but... that's your main fundraising uh, project. But you've also been doing lots of other things. Yeah, so I've also been doing. I think I've done four cake stalls now. I've been doing stuff like um, at my local pub, like next week I'm doing an 80s themed night at the local pub in my village. Um, I've been doing, um, I've been helping out at a, an outdoors club called Grown Learn Outdoors, which is where kids, of, like young kids, they all come together and they like experience the outdoors. And yeah, that's pretty much what I've done so far, but I've got lots more, lots more plans. It's so, it's so impressive. It's so impressive, you know, to take that upon yourself and, you know, you seem to have been so proactive, <laughs> you know, it's very easy to say, oh, I've got this amount of money to raise and you can kind of delay things and put things off. But actually, you're doing not just one thing, you seem to be doing so much. And and I, I, do you think you're at the point where, um, where you hope to be at this point, you know, with kind of six, seven months to go? Yeah, I think so. I've reached £2,000 the other day, which wow. I think you're only meant to have about £1,000 at this point. So I think I'm doing pretty well so far. So hopefully if I just keep on going like I'm going, I will get there in the end. Well, we wish you all the best. That's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a remarkable achievement so far. Thank you very much. Yeah, brilliant, brilliant. Thank you so much for telling us about that, Molly. Uh, but yeah, your experience doesn't end there because we are now going to use use you on for the rest of the show with uh, a lot of your knowledge because something that is very interesting for the learning experience podcast is to know about different places around the world <clears throat> and you are from a place that is uh, a very very interesting place in the UK it's in the northeast you are from near Newcastle. Newcastle. We have our fact or fiction, and we are going to test Molly on Newcastle. So here are some facts about Newcastle, and you're going to go up against Julie. The population of Newcastle is 500,000. I'm going to say fact. I'm going to say fiction. So what do you think it is, uh, Julie, if you uh, think it's... <laughs> it's not the game. It's not the game. <laughs> not the game. <laughs> I, I think, I think, I think it's less than that. Interesting. I, I, oh, I can sometimes Ooh. tell by Sam's eyes <laughs> if, he's, if he's lying or not. Yeah, I think it's, I think it's less by, by a good chunk, like by 100,000 or something less, like 400,000, 350 or something. It's 260,000. Oh, I was well wrong. You're well wrong, man. <laughs> Don't worry about a pet. <laughs> the first ever Greg's Bakery opened in 1951 in Newcastle. 
Oh, I know this as well, but I can't remember. Um, I'm going to say fact again. For want of a good game, I'm going to say fiction because <laughs> Greg's didn't originate in Newcastle. Newcastle. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it is, in fact, a fact. So the first yes. trophy did open in uh, Newcastle in 1951. Uh, for those listeners who don't know what Greg's is, Greg's is an institution in the UK. Um, it's a bakery, but it's a very good value bakery uh, that churns out sausage rolls, uh, meat pies, iced fingers, all the staples uh, and at very reasonable prices. And was one of the first bakeries that introduced a vegan sausage roll, I believe. I was going to, I was going to note that because I was vegan. I think when it happened, I was very happy about that. Was Greg from Newcastle? Yeah. Well, there's a couple of them. (laughs) (laughs) Greg's. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, it's, it's good stuff. Newcastle is on the same latitude as Oslo. Oh, it would help if I knew where Oslo was. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'll give you a clue. Oslo is in Norway. Is in oh, the um, capital of Norway. 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 <laughs> I'm going to say fiction for that one. Yeah, me too. It's too low down. It would be much higher up, I think. Well done, both of you. It is, but it is on the same latitude as Copenhagen. I can believe that. Which is in Denmark, which is obviously a little bit lower down. Newcastle International Airport handles 2 million passengers every year. I'm going to say fiction. I think it might be more. I don't know. Without something to compare it to. That's tricky. I would say Manchester is probably is is more of a hub. I've certainly gone down to Manchester from here to fly out, you know, fly international. But then if we don't have a comparison, <laughs> I'm going to say, f- what did you say, Molly? I said fiction. I'm also going to say fiction because I oh, think it's... a copycat. She said a copycat. Right? <laughs> I, I will go... <laughs> Well, we'll do we'll do we do do we bonus points if we can guess whoever gets it closest. Then I'll say fiction. Okay, yeah, also. yeah, no, let's do that. So you both say Cheeky fiction. Bonus. So both mm-hmm. say fiction on two million. Uh, three point two. I'm I'm gonna say three million. It's five million. <gasps> Judy wins. Oh my gosh. Judy wins. <laughs> I seldom win this game, Molly. So it's quite nice. I seldom win. <laughs> Newcastle is the second wettest city in England. I'm going to say fact. It's quite soggy up here. But it's on the east, isn't it? So I'm going to say fiction because I think generally it's wetter in the west. That's my story and I'm sticking to it. (laughs) I like how much logic you put into yours. (laughs) I never usually have this amount of logic. I don't know what's happening today. Because, like, Glasgow is always much more wetter than Edinburgh. Edinburgh's in the east, Glasgow's in the west. Mm. That, is, that is my only logic I'm bringing to this. I know my rain. <laughs> she does know her rain. Well done, Julie. You have won Fact of Fiction this week. Uh, oh, congratulations. <laughs> it is, in Sorry, fact, Mal. the second driest city in the UK. Oh, you wouldn't believe wow. it. No. <laughs> 
think we're just going to do a little bonus round for you are visiting Ghana. How much do you know about Ghana? We're going to put you a mic <laughs> and we're going to learn a few facts about Ghana, hopefully. So the population of Ghana is 31 million. I'm going to say fiction, not that much. I'm going to say fact. I reckon it is about 30, yeah. Uh, you are correct, Mike. Sorry, Molly. Oh. But it's all about learning, isn't it, Molly? You know. It is all about learning. <laughs> <laughs> and experiencing. And experiencing. <laughs> Clever. <laughs> Clever. The capital of, of Ghana is Abdijan. Well, I used to play capital games as a kid. I loved that game. I'd, I'd bore my parents senseless. Go, oh, what's the capital of that? What's the capital of that? Well, I think you and I are quite similar there, Sam. And I know that the capital of Ghana is Accra. Accra. So I'm going to go fiction. Ah, uh, see, I knew this as well. So I'm going to also go fiction. So the capital city, good knowledge. Again, we're all learning. The capital city is indeed Accra. So you're both right on that one. The major export of Ghana is pistachio nuts. Um, I'm going to say fiction. I'm also going to go with fiction. <laughs> no, it's not. It's actually uh, precious metal. Precious metals Ooh. and gems. Okay, uh, I think that was Mike's win. But like we said, it's all about learning, isn't it, Molly? So we now know have, a little bit more about Ghana. I have learned a lot. Uh, hand over to our language guru, Mike. Uh, and we're going to talk a little bit about, uh, we call it Geordie, right? So if you, if you are from Newcastle, you're called the Geordie. But then the, the actual dialect that you speak is the Geordie dialect the Geordie accent Is yeah that... that's right yeah yeah and it's very recognizable it's one of you know there's a lot of accents within the UK like people know the Liverpool accent or the Birmingham accent or the London Cockney accent and I'd say Newcastle is right up there with one of the most recognized <laughs> most uh, friendly and trustworthy accent as well apparently I've heard that so they use a lot of people from from the northeast for for call centers don't they yes because people are more likely to buy the stuff they're selling yeah that's true i've had a i've had a few geordies at call centers and it is just you're like you just feel safe you feel like you're being held <laughs> that's funny <laughs> you feel like that when you're talking to me <laughs> very similar very similar i just feel i feel i feel like we're in a safe this is a safe space a safe space <laughs> Mike, do you do you know um, a little bit of the history of of the dialect? Off the top of my head, I know that it's got uh, Danish roots, and that there's quite a lot of because, as we know, there was the Angles and the Saxons. The Anglo Anglo Saxons formed part of early British history, and you had a lot of the Angles settled in the area of Northumbria, of which Newcastle is 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 obviously the biggest city. And the Angles had their own language, effectively, which was different from the uh, Saxon language. And uh, a lot of the, the dialects that have been, been uh, kind of uh, around this area, so Sunderland has their own accent called Mackham, um, and Newcastle, obviously, Geordie. 
they've all got their own um, different uh, different terminologies for things. So I, I was wondering, actually, Molly, do you have kind of everyday uh, interactions with people? Do you, do you use different words for, for the staples, if you like, of, of everyday conversation, like thank you? Or do you have a sort of abbreviated way of saying thank you, for example? Uh, yeah, I only learned the other day that I say stuff that people from... Yeah like Yorkshire they didn't know what I was talking about I was like what I, d- I didn't know this wasn't a known word to use like I used the other day lush and apparently they were like well what does that mean I was like it just means it's really nice <laughs> I've heard that one before yeah 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 and what about kind of um uh, equivalent uh, alternatives to how are you do, do you have any sort of because like just... in Yorkshire for example they'd say what, what do they say hey yeah, just say you're right. You're right. You're right. How you doing? You're right. Do you say how you gunning? How you gunning? Yeah, that's another one. It's, it's a bit more aggressive. Think on the top of your head, what you say. <laughs> <laughs> you have to proper think about like what would I say in this situation. Where does way a man? Is that just like a greeting? Wait, or like if you really, really agree with something like way I man. Agreement. Wait. <laughs> so I, I, after three, Mike and Mike, Mike and Sam. One, two, three. Way, way Amen. Very good. Very good. Mike, you went, Mike, yeah. you went Jamaican there. What are you talking about? <laughs> the other thing that a lot of people like it. So in Yorkshire, for example, we use a lot of love. So all right, love. I'm not going to put the words in your mouth, but I want you to confirm to me, Molly. What one of the words that people in Newcastle use a lot? <laughs> Pet, that's it. Oh wait, pet. Oh wait, pet. <laughs> yeah, that's definitely the go-to word. And we, I mean, anywhere you go, you're do you use it. that? Like, would you use that? I think, I think I would use that ironically. Yeah. Like, because I'm not obviously sounding proper Geordie. I think I would probably use it at work actually, because I work in a chip shop where there's lots of Geordie people come in. So I have to, I have to fit with my surroundings. So make it till you make it. Exactly. I think if I was to speak to a proper Geordie person, I would use it. Fascinating, isn't it? How languages are so different. Can you give us some funny just give us a couple of funny ones that you can think of off the top of your head? Uh clamet. Clamet. Which mean clamet, yeah, which means like be quiet. I think it sounded like shut up, yeah. Yeah. Because <laughs> clam, right? Because yeah. of the fish. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, what's it? Gadiam, which means like going home. Oh, divana, which means like I don't know. Divana. Divana, man. Yeah. Mm. You always have to say man at the end of things. <laughs> oh, man, yeah. Yeah. Petting man. Probably, probably man to. is probably used more by younger people, right? Yeah, I think I would yeah. use that in day to day life, actually. Yeah. Especially if you're annoyed at someone, you're like, how oh, hey, man? You just <laughs> exasperate. <laughs> I think we've reached the end of a lovely show. Thank you so much, Molly, for hearing your journey. Uh, and it's just at the beginning, right? So you've got uh, a pretty exciting 18 months ahead of you. Uh, we yes. Wish, we wish you all the best. Uh, Thank you we very will, much. We will put your link on our website and on anything connected to this podcast uh, for your raising funds. Your target of just under seven thousand pounds let's hope we can get a little bit closer to that thank you very much okay yeah best of luck molly 
Yeah, best of luck. Goodbye, Mike. Goodbye, Julie. Goodbye, Molly. Bye, Sam. Goodbye, everybody. We hope you enjoyed the show. That was the Learn and Experience podcast, putting a spotlight on remarkable young people and exploring the world they live in. 